0: Are you blessed or are you cursed? With a strong imagination and a spiritual thirst, do you wanna confide about the darkness
1: inside? Come and talk about it on self-worst. Dottie, I'm gonna need to know what's going on with your little paw there. Why are you looking at so much? Is it okay? I didn't see anything. Are you, are you good? Is your paw good? Okay. Hi. Welcome to Self Worst. I'm Brad Pearson. Sorry. I'm a little late getting this episode out to you. I know I said when I came back to the show that it was going to be every other week. And now, look, it's been three weeks. What, I'm sorry. We're late. It was a very busy week last week. I had finals with my uh coding boot camp blah 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 yes i did it i passed i did all the th- i am graduated done i did it i completed a thing i did a thing that i set out to do that's not nothing next part is um actually getting a job and uh having a real job and applying myself in the in the real world and uh you know, being, being, having, having a big boy job. Being a productive member of society. We're going to see what, we're going to try that on. Also had a really uh, busy week. What with the, uh, did I tell you guys I'm part of a co op? I'm doing a co op um, art handling company with some friends of mine, some co workers, some comrades. We've put together a, uh, a moving and art handling storage co-op and we've been getting a lot more work. We're trying to get that off the ground. Trying to have a little bit more of a uh, worker-owned worker-friendly uh, collective in what is a very, very uh highbrow hyper-capitalist uh, world of art handling and transport. Uh, this is, I mean, this is fucking like billionaires doing that stuff. Anyway, we've been doing a lot of stuff with that and the boot camp and just regular work and life. So it was a lot. So getting this podcast out to you uh, in a timely fashion proved to be too much for me. I'm sorry. Anyway, I'm here now. We're here now. And uh, we got a great guest. It's Pat King. Uh, he's a musician. He's he used to be based in New York. I know him from New York. Now he lives in Philly, uh, and he's crushing it out there, having a good time. Um, and you know, it, we we just have a we had a great conversation. I knew right away when I met Pat and I like, got to know Pat that he was going to be a good guest. You know why? Because he loves sad bastard music, and if you like sad bastard music probably a pretty good candidate for the show if you're an elliot smith fan etc and if you're a sad bastard music fan and you come on the show you're probably i'm probably gonna want to talk to you about that for a while so we do talk about you know a couple of white guys talking about indie music for a while whatever and then we get into it with some some crazy shit about mental health Epilepsy, self-sabotage It's all in there So it was a really great conversation He really He uh, really brought the heat Opened up And at the end he performs a song It's a musical episode We've had a few of those We've had a couple of people come on and perform a song That's always fun Shout out to Whitmer Thomas, shout out to Kate Mooney, performing songs on the show, that's always fun. Probably someone else, I'm forgetting right now, I'm kind of doing this on the fly, I'm sorry if you're not those two people, and you came on the show and performed a song and I'm forgetting. Anyway, what are you gonna do? It's May, it's a beautiful month, it's the most beautiful month, right? It's not too hot, not too cold, hope y'all are feeling well, hope you're having a good time getting outside, rolling around in the grass while it's still green, while, you know, we're not getting scorched and eaten by mosquitoes yet, it's very nice. As busy as we are with all of our shit, I hope you have time to do some exercise, do some self-care, do some whatever it is, do some artwork, do some sitting in a tub, do some uh, staring at a wall, whatever, whatever you gotta do video games, that's a good one, They just kind of chill. I'm in, you know, I sit in the hammock and look up at the tree branches. I just do that. I try and do that once a day while it's nice out. Do whatever you can. Anyway, um, let's get to the interview. But first, uh, let me give you all my bullshit about, uh, you know, uh, patreon.com slash self-worst. Please visit that, and uh, you know you got you got bonus content on there. You can kick in as little as a dollar a month. You won't even notice. You'll sign up once on a whim, and then you'll just forget. You know how many like fucking streaming services and bullshit memberships you're paying for right now that you don't even remember? Add a dollar a month to it. What's a dollar? What's a dollar? It's a hundred cents. U.S. currency. And $20 is the new dollar, by the way. $100 is the new $20. What with inflation and all. Thanks, Brandon. Anyway. Uh, So do that. Patreon.com slash self-worst. Tell a friend, all of that stuff. Um, I'll do more plugs and shit at the end of the episode, if you care to know. Um, That's it. Goodbye.
0: yeah i i grew up
2: yeah super small town kind of by it was it's called cambridge new york and it's right by like the vermont border so it's mm. the closest kind of i i used to tell people like the closest city would be albany but it's really like bennington vermont so it's
1: yeah just That's really nice small that, that vermont new york border oh um yeah we've been to yeah. jamaica vermont a couple of times just like right over the border it's so fucking sick there yeah, it's yeah, beautiful. It's, it's beautiful. Um so what was your, you know, uh tell tell us about childhood pad, growing up in a small town in upstate. What was what was that set set us up? Yeah, I mean, so the town was pretty
2: it's a pretty like idyllic setting. Like it's it's very uh like the town I grew up in uh is where like Grandma Moses, if you know who that is, like the she's like a famous folk artist you know she she grew up there and and even like my dad uh my grandfather my dad's dad was like a his his business was he was like a door to door kind of vegetable delivery guy, so he had like a big refrigerated truck that he would deliver vegetables to but he um he delivered vegetables to like norman Rockwell, so that's like the wow. kind of like the kind of like right. area that it is you know it's it's very like quintessential small town America kind of thing. Like my town was um, like my graduating class in high school was 80 kids and we had one stoplight in our town. So it's like pretty, pretty, pretty small. But, um, but yeah, I, 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 grew up, I have, um, I have an older brother, an older sister, younger sister. And uh, so I'm kind of like the middle child. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents were both, uh, my dad was like a high school art teacher and uh my mom was in special ed for a long time she still kind of is but uh but yeah I was I was kind of like it wasn't that kind of situation where my graduating class was big enough to have cliques you know so it was like everyone kind of knew each other a little bit you know because it was so small and uh so I I played like soccer and and um I, I had I had a pretty good childhood I guess but like, uh, but yeah, I was I was always drawing and kind of artistic, and you know wanted to play music. When did and, you start uh, playing music? Um, so I had I had a, uh, I had this art teacher. Um, my dad taught art at a different school, which was kind of great. I'm glad. He yeah, did no, that. you don't want to go with your parents. <laughs> yeah, you don't want that.
1: Yeah.
2: but uh, I had this art teacher who um she was a massive Grateful Dead fan and I was wasn't really into that stuff growing up. Like I was, I was more into like, um, I guess like the first stuff I really liked was, was like, um, uh, like Epitaph and fat wreck kind of shitty, like mall punk, yeah. you know, kind of stuff. Offspring and shit. I, yeah. I always, I always kind of give it like a, I always have to give it, like I, my brother and I used to call it shit punk, but I guess it's not like, it's fine. Like I, like, come, I, I don't know. Yeah, like, I, 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 again, I've like, come around to bat. Like yeah. bad religion is a great band.
1: We're but. in our thirties now. And like, now I can be a lot more forgiving of all of the like, kind of shitty music that I listened to that I really liked and was then embarrassed by, uh, when I was like a pretentious 20 something, you know, like I, I've, I've been listening. I've been going back and listening to like a lot of new metal Recently, because like (laughs) I was, I was a big. Well, it's it's kind of coming back. It's kind of coming back, like because I think generationally, just just time wise, we've there's been enough time and distance. It's like when you break up with somebody, and there's like this, you know, this this period of resentment and kind of just like "Ah, bad vibes. I don't want to be around them. But then a couple years later, you been in another relationship and a different relationship and another, and then like you see each other, and you're like, oh hey. What's up? You look good. You look nice. Well, how are you doing? Like, and everything's fine. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot like that. Like we've been through, you know, indie sleaze and like now we're old and now we don't even know what the fuck is going on in music anymore. So like now stuff that's nostalgic and late nineties, it's great. Yeah. It's, it's, it's it's familiar and fun. And like, I can understand that it fully sucks and is for like dumb people, but like it's, it's fine. Oh yeah. It's I fun. mean
2: I I like my fair share of that too. You know, like I loved like I don't know. I I went to a bunch of B-list new metal shows in high school for mm-hmm. sure. You know, like I saw you know any any band like that that came within like 45 minutes. I I went to, you know, I went to see but like um but yeah, like uh so I had this art teacher who is super into the Grateful Dead. Yeah. And she she played banjo, and So, like I'm I getting like had, an
1: old hippie boomer kind of yeah, type, like yeah, the upstate exactly. in yep. the VW van, and yeah, okay, yeah, pretty much, good vibe. So,
2: uh, so she ended up teaching my friend Cal how to play banjo, and because uh, he, <clears throat> his dad was like a big deadhead as well, so he was like kind of into that stuff. But she was kind of she was kind of the art teacher who was like a little. You know a little fast and loose with the kids like she would just kind of be like here's some water water watercolor paints and like fuck around and then she would just pretty much play like dead shows on archive.net or 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 whatever and we would just kind of like talk like it was it was the first teacher i ever had who kind of treated us like we were adults in a way where she would just you know nothing was very like um like none of the assignments really mattered. It was just kind of like we would get together and see what we made in class and just kind of talk about life or whatever. Yeah. But so it kind of ended up, she she was teaching my friend Cal how to play banjo and I was learning how to play guitar. I was taking guitar lessons. So we ended up uh, kind of starting like an old timey string band. <laughs> and <clears throat> and uh, so we were like the stuff we were playing were like dead covers and stuff like that. And I ended up meeting, uh, we ended up kind of meeting people from the town over from us, uh, to kind of, I, I guess like, you know, fill in all the gaps of the band. Like we met this guy, Dave, who's a mandolin player. And then, uh, this other guy, Zach, who played upright bass. And then eventually this, uh, other guy named Luke who played acoustic guitar, but also played banjo and stuff. So we, we did that, you know, throughout high school. And, uh, and it was a lot of fun. And I ended up kind of getting into that stuff a little bit. Like, I, I got into like, like the dead and, and went to like a few fish shows. Oh boy. <laughs> and, which, which I mean, talk about embarrassing stuff. Like that, that is horrible listening to now. <laughs> it's just, like, <laughs> but like, I don't know. I, I guess like I've, I've kind of come to terms with it. Yeah. Where I, I feel like, um, I, I think if there is an admirable thing about jam bands is that it, they really kind of show you what an underground music community can look like. That's true. Like, I, I feel like, um, because growing up in a small town, I didn't know anything about like, like DIY punk culture or anything like that. Like it was, it was, I was in fish country, you know, I got, yeah. I,
1: was, <laughs> I was there for that. Yeah, so, You were, you were in crunchville for sure.
2: Yeah. So, So kind of hearing about all these bands that would kind of come through through basically and, and be popular through word of mouth and through trading tapes and stuff like that. It felt like a, like a cell, like a subculture, like a real subculture. It was
1: like kind of, I mean, that's kind of like the end of that. Like that's fish and like who else? I mean, insane clown posse. Like they're like Like the only like musical communities anymore that are like not really internet based.
2: Yeah, I mean, but I I guess if you do lean into the internet, I mean, like, I I think you could argue that like SoundCloud rap is Mm -hmm. kind of derived is kind of like the continuation or kind of the means to an end of that. Where it's like people just like not caring or, or caring, but just not caring about how things are released, you know, just putting it up and just letting it be what it is, not putting so much pressure around you know, sculpting a masterpiece or something <laughs> and yeah. then, and then building a genuine community out of that. Like, I think there's an argument there where you could kind of correlate the two. Yeah. But mixtapes
1: um, and, you know, using like uncleared samples and stuff, but it doesn't matter. Cause yeah. It's like mixtape. Yeah. yeah. Hip hop. Like, yeah. Yeah.
2: But, um, but anyways, so, so yeah, like I, I, it was, it was very, very, uh, small town life. And, uh, I ended up going to um Purchase College, which is like a like an art school in Westchester County, like outside of New York. And from there, you know, I kind of came in and and um you know I I was still kind of listening to that stuff, but I was like really into before getting to school, I was really into like the Smiths and stuff like Elliot Smith and mm-hmm. and uh and um I guess kind of more of like the mopier side of things. Like I was I I got like the cure disintegration yeah was getting into that all that good stuff and so i i kind of lucked out in a way where i i had two paths i could take where i was like well i could either like seek out the jam band people of of this new school or yeah. i could come to my senses and like lean into college rock or whatever so i i i kind of got in with like the diy Like, so the school was kind of set up in a way where it wasn't in a town, really. It was kind of built on this compound that I think used to be a farm that was kind of given to the Sunni system. But it was built by, I I can't remember if this is right, but I think it was built, like the actual complex was built by and designed by the same person that built like Sing Sing Prison or something like that. So it was this... This really kind of depressing thing out in the middle of the wilderness. And we, you know, there were dorms, but there were also like on campus apartments where people would party. But uh those of us that were like underage, like freshmen, it was great because it had um there were there was a student center that had a show every night. Like they booked bands every night. And there would be the same bands that would play like Mercury Lounge or Bowery Ballroom or something like that. So I really didn't have any exposure to anything like that, you know, growing up. So I I think like the first couple months I was there, I saw like Dave Bazan of Pedro the Lion play Mm -hmm. like a solo set. And that was like, oh, shit, like this is like this is the music for me. (laughs) I need to get into this. But. I should say that, you know, I was I was also like very into uh, stuff like like Wilco, like I Mm -hmm. I got super into Wilco and like the Flaming Lips and they kind of they kind
1: of toe that line like Wilco is kind of like the halfway mark between like indie record store college rock stuff and like pretty twangy, crunchy, like jam band people because like they can kind of do a little bit of both.
2: Yeah, and I I think I think they were kind of like the off ramp for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I remember I remember seeing them in high school and like I I saw them on the Ghost is Born tour and I was just kind of like like oh shit, like all this jammy goofy stuff is like horrible <laughs> like, compared to this. Like this is a real band. Like like they they mean business kind of thing. It's a, it's
1: an amazing experience in your like early 20s when you like when you start to really feel like you've discovered something i like discovered new music or like you've, you've learned, you've gotten into like a set of music as a adolescent, as a, as a, you know, a kid, a teenager, whatever you're listening to like Nirvana and smashing pumpkins and stuff. Cause that's been around. But like, then you hear that first flaming lips album and it like blows your mind and you just start like, like that was my that was my entry point was uh was Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots uh, I think yeah, like same. that one was yeah. and I was just and then I went back and listened to Soft Bolts and just like worked my way back through their discography which is huge and there's so many of them and like you know it goes all the way back into like but late 80s early 90s and like it's insane and so like that was what really started it for me and like that was probably like uh god when was that like late high school i guess when i was just like oh no i'm not into this new metal shit anymore i'm I'm a cool like record store guy i hang out at the record store and like <laughs> I, I, I know a lot about music and i'm a cool guy now you know like that that sort of shit like i was i was trading in like my jean codes for like cardigans and and like buddy holly glasses and shit it was like this weird transition of styles yeah yeah for real and
2: it's funny though because i i think there are just so many layers to the flaming lips like they're such a fascinating band to me just in terms of like the musicality that comes to all of it just how much ground they cover uh i think wayne is is kind of an underrated lyricist Mm -hmm. in terms of like you think like if you were to kind of like I, I feel like someone who knows about them on a surface level just kind of views them as this druggy, kind of like fantastical
1: Yeah. You know, party band. Yeah, they write songs about but... spaceships and stuff, but like it, it is deeper than that. And like it gets into like the human condition and like he he can really dig into like uh, a lot of yeah, a lot of a lot of just moods. A lot of like a lot of stuff on Soft Bulletin, especially about just like having like moments of ennui while you're like folding laundry and stuff and like all of a sudden you're just like spiraling and don't know what the fuck your life is and like like he'll get into that and like it's it's in the middle of this like crazy psychedelic album and so it just hits you on like two levels of uh you know just visceral uh carnal music and bright colors and shit and then also this like morose fucking like Jean-Paul Sartre kind of existentialism. Yeah. I always think about that line in the gash
2: where he he says like, will the fight for our sanity, but be the fight for our lives. Yeah. And it's, it's so, it comes out of like, that song just has these giant weird harmonies, like kind of chanting like most of the lyrics. And then he kind of sings that without anything. Like Mm -hmm. it's pretty unobscured and it's kind of the thesis for that album in a lot of ways where it's just like, like the real battle is our minds like Mm -hmm. all the time like you just have to keep that at bay like the terror at bay and you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) i mean that was
1: their whole thing like they uh he wanted to make a psychedelic band that was about kind of like the dark side or like a bad trip kind of thing like when you take drugs and go to like the bad place in your brain um and have anxiety and you're like scared and and, like he wanted to get into that and you know they have that whole album like the terror that's about just that it's about just the you know kind of when you zoom out and look at our place in the cosmos it's it's terrifying how small and insignificant and short everything is and just doesn't really matter there's no there's no nothing like you just die and that's <laughs> yeah. it and then you don't exist anymore and like you know like it, it, when you're a kid listening to all that stuff it's it's like fucking mind blowing and it just it uh yeah i don't know man like i i've kind of fell off with them after like yoshimi after like war with the mystics wasn't a very good album and then and yeah, then i right, kind of like right. moved on to other shit but like but then they came back and started doing like more interesting stuff after that and like i am just like man that's cool. I, I wish I hadn't kind of fallen off because like now I feel like it's weird to go back and like, you know, it's 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 yeah, hard I, to like sit down and listen to it now. But
2: yeah, I, I think I I wrote like a giant list for Pace that was just kind of going through all their albums and and it, I, I think it reignited my love for them in a big way. But yeah, I I even think their their latest one, American Head, I think that's one of their best ones. And that's it's good. it's really yeah. And it's it's really kind of I don't know, I think Wayne I think Wayne is kind of maybe one of America's most underrated country singers, <laughs> like, in hmm. a way. Like I, I feel like his he kind of writes in this like simplistic almost Nashville.
1: I, I don't mean, know. It, yeah. Like, if you I, remove all of the other like all the Stephen Drows uh dave dave friedman is that the producer that they worked yep. with mm-hmm. that like made everything sound like fucking crazy if you remove all of that and it's just like him and guitar he just sounds like neil young yeah exactly you yeah know? he's got that like high alto e voice and like it just sounds he's just like a twangy he's like a fucking oaky you know <laughs> yeah for real so yeah
2: it's do, you, it's do you feel like um i i guess growing up where you did do you feel like you connect to them on on a certain level? Of, a little of, bit. Kind of yeah, cuz
1: yeah. I mean, the reason I have such a big affinity for them and like a band like Guided by Voices is because they're just they're just dudes. They're just these like dudes from a shitty town in the Midwest who like had day jobs and weren't particularly you know poised for greatness in any way but they just had this tenacity i think it it was like another thing that that there's another thread that is their tenacity like guided by voices and uh flaming lips they both existed for a long ass time before anybody before they really gained a lot of traction and they were just like okay like we're not getting noticed a bunch like we're getting you know we'll sell a song to like The, you know, Batman forever soundtrack here and there. And like, you know, we'll sometimes pop up in things. But like, honestly, we're just like we make enough money to like pay our rent in in Oklahoma City. And that's it. And we're just going to make our shit and just keep grinding away at it and have our day jobs. And like all of a sudden, after, you know, 20 years of doing that, they have this massive catalog of just pure artwork that hasn't been. Fucked with by the pressure of everybody looking at them and saying like what's next which is honestly why i kind of think they choked after yoshimi because that's what like that's what garnered them a bunch of attention and the next album kind of sucked and it took them a minute to like recalibrate and go back to just being weird dudes
2: yeah i mean i mean guided by voices they're i mean as you can see, I've—I I've, yeah. don't know if you can see, but there's a big poster over there. But yeah, I mean, Robert Pollard, I think, I think discovering Alien Lanes and B Thousand, like I, I, I played in bands in in college that were, you know, I was I was kind of like starting to, be really serious about things, you know, trying to like write serious songs that I thought were good and weren't just to like fulfill being in a string band or something, you know, and like actually playing with people who cared about music and stuff like that. And, um, I, I think being around being at an art school and being around people that were kind of going to school for composition Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, you know, really had the chops and really knew the mechanics of songwriting and stuff like that. Um, I, w- I was going to school for journalism, so I, I wasn't, you know, doing that conservatory thing and, and just being around people that were while I was trying to figure out my style of songwriting, yeah. like at that time, like it was, it was very, I felt like a lot of imposter syndrome yeah. from that just because it was like, it was like, well, anything I do is not going to touch what these people can do. They're just, you know, so professional you know, they're, they're on the track, t, you know, to be kind of pro musicians or whatever. And, uh, it was, it was very easy for me to talk myself down in that way. And, uh, I think hearing those records, Alien Lanes and B-1000, uh, you know, I was just like, well, this guy, this band and, and this guy, you know, cause it's, it's at that time it was, it was pretty much like Pollard and Uh, Tobin Sprout's vision you know they would just kind of go into their basement and yeah you know with with a with a case of Miller Lite and crank out these four track songs and it was just so unfucked with and brilliant and it was it was such like a game changer for me because I was like well all that matters is just doing it yeah you know you know if you just keep doing like whatever you want to do if you just keep doing it you know, fuck it. At least if if people don't like it, like maybe they'll like the next one. You know, like <laughs>
1: you'll, you'll just Yeah, it's it's at least, just a, at it's, least that's the process. It's just the raw output. It's just it's just whatever is coming out of you. And you don't necessarily have to be technically super gifted. In fact, I don't I wouldn't say Wayne Coyne or Robert Pollard are particular like they're not, I wouldn't call them like guitar virtuosos or anything like that by any measure doesn't matter. Like it's very, it's pretty stripped down, um, you know, just, just song craft. And, um, that's more what matters. And that's always been like, I always like somebody who, um, who puts their balls into what they're doing over just having, you know, a a preternatural talent that just like talent's luck, you know, but like what what really matters is passion and keep doing it and keep trying and failing and experimenting and and eventually like these breakthroughs happen when it really comes from the heart. I mean, like, you know, again coming from the Midwest, like growing up going to shows at the SoCal Underground, being around all that saddle creek stuff and like hearing like bright eyes for the first time and like hearing you know like i mean hearing a lot of stuff just like because he was like a guy about town and like you know there was like a lot of backlash and there was a lot of like you know i think by the time that i started really listening to a lot of that stuff like a lot of the music nerds who like i was talking to were like actually it sucks because they wanted to be like you know they're, like contrarian about it and shit like uh, well i, I think I, I think once they leave
2: once once they labeled connor as emo like, yeah i feel like that's that, kind of like, like when it, it happened right it's, yeah
1: it, you know there's that like backlash resentment against like midwest emo and like that was but there was also like what was going on too. So there's this like love hate thing happening and there's this whole other level of like Midwestern masculinity and machismo and expectations of like how you're supposed to like fucking act as like a dude. And like, you're supposed to like, if you're not like making like ZZ top music, then you're a little bitch. And like, you know, there's (laughs) just all of that go on top of it where, uh, you know, this like little sensitive, sad boy with his hair in his face like singing songs about feelings was just like who the fuck is this guy but like if you listen to it it's just like holy shit like he is really tapping into something deep and dark and very specific about our generation and our like geographical location just this like isolated loneliness and there's nothing but train horns and like, you can't see anything on the horizon. And there's just nobody fucking out there. Like Willa Cather, like it's, he got it. He nailed it. And it it, again was just some fucking kid, you know, he's not a good singer. And he's like, it's, it's, it's deeper than that. Like, that's why punk is good. It's like, they're not good at what they're doing that, but they are, it's coming from something deeper.
2: Yeah, it, it's funny because I I've, I feel like, you know, uh, especially with, like, all the meet-me-in-the-bathroom kind of recontextualization of, of like, that whole New York era, like, I, I, I feel like I have a hard time, at least at the time, I had a hard time connecting with stuff like that. Like, now I can listen to The Strokes, I can listen to, like, all that stuff, but... Mm-hmm. I feel, I feel like at the time, like I had a hard time really getting into that stuff because I couldn't identify with
1: that kind of New York. Yeah. Yeah. Know, I mean, and you, you were a lot closer yeah. to, to all of that stuff than, you know, than, than I was geographically, but like, it's still, it always just felt, I mean, I liked the, yeah, yeah, yes. Um, I liked some of that stuff, but like never really connected with like, yeah, LCD sound system. And, and like a, a lot of that, like, you know, uh indie sleaze stuff that was happening i was like this is cool but like this is also just like college party music i'm like cool great yeah yeah exactly you know, like, yeah it's like i'm not listening to this like when i'm alone when i'm like really in my feelings you know like it, it, bright eyes is headphone music bright eyes isn't something you put on when like you have the boys over you know like that's something <laughs> like you're almost embarrassed to listen to because it's so intense and earnest but, like, that's the good shit. Like, that's what really, like, cuts in and sticks with you and leaves an emotional mark on you that, like, is indelible. And you come back to, like, years later and you're, you know, like, you listen to those records again and you're like, wow, I remember being in my 20s and I remember what season it was. I remember... Like who I was into at the time. I remember, like you know, this or that unrequited crush. I remember I was stressed out about like this or that, you know, world events. Like I was, I was well pissed off about the Iraq War or whatever. Like it all comes back, you know. And again, we're fucking old. We're <laughs> like yeah, yeah. We're yeah. old and we're like having our like fucking like Vietnam flashbacks and shit, you know. I know. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, yeah. I don't know. I I, I guess were were you into like. So, so you were seeing him, but were you also seeing people like cursive and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, all of that, like yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: cursive, the faints. Um, Rilo Kiley was on that label for a minute, and like they were bopping around Omaha. Um, like I grew up in the next town over. I grew up in Lincoln. That's the capital, but like it's eh, like a forty-five minute drive to to get there. So like you know, we'd all pile in the car and we'd all go see like whatever. Like we saw the Yeah, yeah Yeahs on their first tour at Sokol which was fucking incredible and like oh I'm sure the energy in that like and we saw the Arcade Fire like um they played the Underground which is like the smaller like the basements you know uh uh version of of that like they didn't even fill the the actual auditorium they were just playing like this little room and it was just packed to the gills and it just like it went crazy in there. Like, cause it, it, yeah, it was just an exciting time. You know, you see, you see shit like that and you're like, Oh, these guys are going to be huge. And this is a big cultural event. That's like happening, you know, five feet in front of me. It's yeah. I, I I saw,
2: I saw them play. I saw them play United Palace. Uh, It's like a church up in Washington Heights. in I I think it was, yeah, the Neon Bible that just came out.
1: Mhm.
0: But it Second was album. it was it's
2: yeah, but but man, yeah, they were they were so exciting
1: when they were around and kind of firing on on all cylinders. I never I didn't really get into any of the rest of their stuff, but that first album was amazing. Just in, like another one that just was like, "Oh, this is different than like a lot of the other just like generic indie stuff that's happening. Like this is There's something deeper here. They're, like, tapping in. They're channeling Bruce Springsteen. There's all this other stuff in there that, like, you know, just, like, the the album's called Funeral, and it has, like, it evokes all this, like, life and death stuff that is just big, and, you know, it it, it seems, it feels beyond the scope of, like, what a, you know, 22-year-old guy should be able to write, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, I think...
2: Yeah, I I think, you know, I mean, they're kind of (laughs) they're kind of over right now, but uh, I I don't know what's going to happen with them. But, uh, yeah, they I I think he just got for me like he just became a worse and worse lyricist over time. I remember (laughs) we uh, Courtney and I, we uh, we won free tickets to see them at it was Grand Prospect Hall. Did you ever go there when that was open? It was like Mm -hmm. a wedding venue in uh like South Slope and they were doing some live cast there for one of their horrible albums, hor- horrible recent albums. <laughs> yeah. I just I just remember we were waiting online to get in and it was because it was all free tickets. So you know it, it was just crazy pandemonium waiting in line to get in. And uh he came out and did that thing where he was like shaking everyone's hand, you know, mm-hmm. kind of being like like I'm a man of the people. I'm gonna shake everyone's hand. And I had I had that like King of the Hill moment where Hank Hill shake shook uh, George W. Bush's hand and oh, it was a yeah. limp handshake. <laughs> yeah, and I was just like, <laughs> I like, I don't know about this Win Butler guy. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> like this handshake isn't
1: great. So see, you knew, I knew. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's hard. It's yeah. Um, so when you think back on that like time in your life, and that it's like a you know it's a big development period like a lot of other uh you know a lot of other shits going on feelings coming online and life experiences are happening um you know and this is you know this is a mental health podcast Uh, we, we we talk a lot about that like was when was your first kind of like um inkling of like oh this is uh, this is what depression feels like. This is what anxiety really <laughs> feels like. This is what, you know, uh, I, I don't want to go back to this experience.
2: Yeah, I, so as I was actually kind of thinking about this today in preparation of coming on. And uh, I, th- I think I can kind of trace it back to, so I, I grew up, I was an epileptic hmm. and I guess technically still am. But, uh, you know, I, I had pretty, uh, I had a few kind of ground mall seizures, you know, where you fall on the floor and shake and all that stuff. But the way my epilepsy worked mostly was I would have these kind of, uh, these auras where I would, I would, uh, it would come on and it, it would feel like a foggy like my my uh perception of everything would get very foggy and then i would i would almost kind of be in like a trance state like kind of black out and uh i remember the first one i ever had i you know i was i was walking uh to the school bus after after school and i i felt like a cloud come on and and the next thing i knew i i woke up and i was on the ground and a teacher was like, what are you doing? You just walked straight into a stop sign. <laughs> and
0: right. So
2: apparently like, you know, like it was very like Looney Tunes, just like bunk and then fell over. Yeah. And uh, so I ended up, I, I grew up and, um, you know, they, they, at that time they really didn't have medication for childhood epilepsy. So uh, I w- I went to a doctor and they were, I was on all these, experimental drugs like I would get paid by my doctor like I would get a check for like a hundred bucks to basically like each time I went in for a check-in like after doing a trial of medication and he would just be like okay like like thanks so much like thanks for trying this out like thanks for giving us this data pretty much and so it was a lot of like me you know if a med if if medication wasn't good I would feel the side effects like I would I would you know, pass out in class and just be like a drooling mess. Hmm. And, and, uh, it it took like a lot of time and, and different trials to kind of get on the right meds for a while. But, uh, most of my epilepsy is, is triggered, triggered by stress and, and, and not sleeping. Mm -hmm. So if, if I, you know, I would, I would go to a, a friend's house and, and if that friend had a, had parents that would like let us stay up all night and like watch movies or something, you know, which we would do and just stay up until we could, the sun rises or whatever, watching like die hard or something like that yeah. or horror movies or so, you know, I would, I would go home and then I would just have seizure after seizure after seizure. And, and on days like that, um, you know, I, I would be pretty checked out for like a week, you know, I would, I would, and I didn't know that if it was depression or not, but I would definitely be, you know, not wanting to get out of bed or like, uh, you know, just really closing myself off in my room or something like that. But then I remember the first real time where it affected me. I I was hanging out with a couple of friends, uh, a friend of mine who had like, His parents had um he grew up on a on a pretty big farm and his parents had an apartment that was above their garage that they would rent out to people but at the time it was a vacant apartment so he we were like okay like this this apartment's vacant we're gonna like go hang out and play music and like bring our guitars and play music all night but we're also gonna do shrooms so (laughs) like we we bought it was the first it was the first time I ever did shrooms and, uh, how old were you? I think I w- I w I must've been like 16 or something okay. like that. 16 and maybe 15, 16, 17, something like that. But, um, uh, I just remember we, we each took an eighth, which now, like, I'm like, why the fuck would you ever do that? <laughs> like, it's just like, you know, for someone who just nibbles and microdoses now, yeah. like, it's like, why the hell would you ever do that? But the the intended effect was to trip, you know, like we want it like at that age, you're like, I want to like have that movie experience. I yeah. want to like see the walls like melt or whatever. And um, of course, it was a bad trip. You know, it was like I, uh, I I remember we were watching like SNL was on and it was a best of Chris oh, no. <laughs> it was like I was like, fuck this Chris Kattan guy. Like, I hate this guy. <laughs> Just like freaking out. And, uh, we were all kind of like, I was trying to get my shit together. And then my friend's dad walked in to like, be like, Hey guys, like, what's up? Like, just wanted to know if you need snacks or anything, you know, that kind of cool dad thing. And I lost my, like, I just couldn't handle it. So I I had like a, a real feeling of panic and it triggered a seizure. So I ended up having this seizure and and they all, of course, like my friends, like, like luckily they like this wasn't their first time, so they, they okay. Were just so like, they
1: they knew you uh, had yeah. epilepsy before that, yeah.
2: Yeah, but they 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 had also tripped before, so they oh, they okay. were also like, they're like, oh my god, like Pat has epilepsy, like Dad, like we're gonna help him out, and so they all kind of like snapped to it and like explaining the situation, and then. You know, I I felt so embarrassed afterwards and like I woke up and, you know, kind of wrote it out, but I was like, wait, I I still think it's, it's probably like, it's definitely the first time I've felt that inadequate or kind of, you know, that my disorder was kind of like a deterrent for me having a normal life Mm -hmm. in a way. And, um, just like the, the entire aspect of like, I can't trust my own brain. Like, I, I can't, like, I will lose time if I don't take care of this, you know, like I will lose, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll slip out of reality yeah. in a way. And, and, uh, so it, after that day, I, I just remembered, I think it kicked in probably a month long thing for me where I was. You know i was i was very conscious of that and it was it was a real kind of maybe the first time i ever considered my mortality and you know and just being really thinking about uh that heavily kind of made me petrified you know i was just terrified of everything and you know uh uh i i it was almost like too much to bear. So I, I think, um, I think I, I never got a handle on what that was. And I I think at the time I just thought it was because, you know, like a side effect of having a a seizure, you know, I I thought it was just like my brain was, you know, in a rattled state or whatever, but I, I kind of, looking back on it now um you know i i think it kind of went hand in hand a little yeah. bit and kind of you know not uh i i guess not having a handle on on my stress or 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 uh having some kind of security about uh uh worth or identity in that way kind of you know it, it's 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 a, it was maybe a battle I didn't know I was fighting yeah. or something like that. I mean,
1: seizures are scary enough when you don't mix them with psychedelic drugs and <laughs> like teenage hormones and angst. Like that's that's a big one. Yeah. And like I, I mean, I can really only imagine. Like it's it, it's already like, kind of a scary thing to to have to to know that like you can slip into these states and that like it's an extremely vulnerable uh uh state to 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 be in and like not really knowing when it can come on and you know um I know that for a lot of people with uh epilepsy like the 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 scariest thing is just the blackout of time where you're just yeah people will tell you that like yeah you were talking to me but like you have no memory of that and like what a like like almost like that feeling of you know like like you're possessed or something like there's some other entity controlling your body your voice your face and it's not you you have no record of that like it's got to be fucking terrifying
2: yeah i re- I remember the, there was this one day where uh I was like I, I must have been young i I must have been like in maybe middle school or something like that, but i probably before then it was probably like fifth grade or something like that, but i remember i I was on my school campus, and at at the time my mom was teaching at the the same school she was teaching special ed and uh I remember just for some reason I, I had walked from the parking lot like out past like our football field and just like walked into the woods and then like realized I was out in the woods and was like, I have to get back to the school. Like what am I doing out here? So I I just like ran back and my mom had like called the cops (laughs) and was like, like where the fuck were you? right. (laughs) like, and you know, I, that was definitely before I got like any sort of good medication or whatever. But... Yeah.
1: I mean, you'd been diagnosed, like, they knew that it was a, they know that like it was a seizure that had happened like the first time. Like, they were like, oh, this was epilepsy.
2: Yeah. I mean, so, so what was, happens? Was there like
1: a long period where they're like, oh, is he a demon or something? <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, I, I mean, I had, I had always been like a very, um, like hyperactive and mm-hmm. kind of just, you know, head in the clouds kind of, you know, doodling like on all my books kind of kid. But, um, so I I think initially they thought I was just like goofing off and just kind of being like a class clown or whatever. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah. So what they do, like when you have something like that to kind of rule it out is, is you do these tests, like you do an EEG test, Mm -hmm. which is where, uh, they put these like kind of suction cups that are attached to wires on your head and then they trigger a seizure. So what they do is they, it's almost like clockwork orange or something. (laughs) It's like, like they, they make you do hype. Like you have to hyperventilate for like five minutes or whatever, maybe just like a couple minutes. And then they do like strobe lights like directly in your eyes. And it's all meant to, you know, if you do have epilepsy, like these are time proven like, time after time, these things right. have proven to trigger a seizure. So, uh, turns out, like, they they found out, like, yes, this will trigger a seizure right. <laughs> in the sky. So, I, I mean, I, I think that's how they sussed out that it was that rather than yeah. me being a smartass or whatever. Hold on, I'm just going to turn this light on. Yeah, sure.
1: And, like, beyond that, like, just in terms of like living in the world and like being beholden to other people and like understanding, like, I mean, it's, it's, a, I can tell you, it's a scary thing to watch somebody have a seizure. Like it's, it's crazy and surreal. And like, you're, you're not sure what's happening at first. Um, did, did the, like, I don't know. Uh, not that I think that it's something that somebody should be like, ashamed or embarrassed of but like did that come up did that come up like oh god everybody saw me like you know like fall to the ground and shake around and like yeah yeah what are people gonna say and like oh of course what am I doing to my family stressing them out blah 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 like stuff like that
2: yeah yeah definitely I mean I I had like a (laughs) I had like a severe seizure in, in a science class when I was like sitting next to my, like my high school crush and stuff like that. So like, like, I, I just remember that like sad walk or like everyone just, you know, you come to and you're on the floor and everyone is just around you. And you're just like, please, I hope I didn't piss my pants or, or something yeah like
1: that. Or like, cause that can happen, you know? Too, like, and then
2: like, yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, it never happened to me luckily, but, um, but it was, it was, uh, you know you just wake up covered in sweat you just don't know wait was it sweat or was it piss i don't know (laughs) yeah well and you
1: you don't know how long you've been like up and talking to people you don't know like what like it's you know it's like coming out of anesthesia like there's like a good 10 minutes where you're just like somebody else is driving this thing
2: yeah for for real and and um yeah and and uh even like yeah i just remember uh you know after that kind of bad trip I, I did on mushrooms I didn't I didn't do mushrooms for like I don't know maybe like 15 years or something like that I but like I, I was, understand I was always,
1: probably why you might be trepidatious about it, doing that again. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs>
2: but but I was I mean I did you know I, I experiment I, I had my fair share of like over experimenting on different kinds of drugs but like for some reason yeah like anything where it was like a like a shift in your reality i was like i can't do that you know mm-hmm. like it was it was very i i felt like i had to keep a distance from that but like but yeah i mean it, it, it i th- i think it did kind of spawn like an insecurity in me that i i think came out in kind of destructive ways you know in in certain aspects of my life you know going on, you know, you know, I, I, I think like, uh, I think I was a little angry about it. You know, I was, I was like, you know, I, and, and, uh, um, yeah, I, I, and me, and I, I really think it, it didn't have anything to do with, you know, uh, maybe if I was like moody or irritable or, or, uh, You know anxious or or depressed or whatever like i didn't think i i all thought it was kind of stemming from that in a weird way and kind of blamed that so i i think until until recently like i think i've i've really tried to kind of think of them as separate things yeah and try and try and you know get to the root of my anxieties or or you know really kind
1: of take depression seriously It's hard to map out because yeah, like it has to have a profound effect on your brain chemistry because it's, it's your brain going, you know, and just like, yeah, sloshing all your like brain chemicals around. And like, you know, even like for treatment of severe depression, like they still do use, uh, electroshock, um, you know, occasionally like to like snap somebody out of it, which, that treatment has like a really bad rap because you hear, you see like one flew over the cuckoo's nest and you think that it's this like horrible brutal thing, but like it is really effective because like what this the induced seizure from electroshock can do is just kind of like reset your your brain chemistry. Uh, it's you know it's like it's like rebooting your computer, you know, and um, it, I imagine. I mean, not knowing a whole ton about like fucking neurology and everything (laughs) that it it has to have, you know, a, a similar effect of like kind of setting off certain patterns chemically in your brain that are going to make you in a certain mood for, you know, X amount of time afterward. Like there's, but then, you know, there's also, there's people without epilepsy who have, depression and anxiety too so it's got to come from somewhere else too you know what i mean like it it, it can't just be just that yeah i mean it's yeah
2: it, i i'm sure you talk to people with you know everyone has a unique experience with it but mm-hmm. it is that thing of just like yeah like how do you trust your brain yeah. but it's but it is the only thing you can trust <laughs> sometimes i don't know
1: yeah it sucks when it, when it feels like you know it's pitted against you and like does not have your best interest at heart then like well then what the fuck like i i don't yeah. really know wh- where to go from here it's it can be really rough um what drugs did you end up taking to um to to manage it because it it seems like now it's 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 pretty under control and uh, i i so far as i know these days there's there's pretty uh reliable anti-seizure meds that don't have a ton of side of side effects that you can just like kind of like okay this is pretty you know reliable
2: yeah so i i'm actually pretty bad like i i stopped taking meds like i never got like a clear like, I never got, like, an all-clear. Mm-hmm. Um, but I stopped taking meds probably, let's see, probably when I was, like, 24, mm-hmm. 25. I'm, I'm 36 right now. So it's it's been a long time. But I was on, I was on Tegretol was the first med that I was on. And then I was on Keppra for a long time. And, you know, Tegretol had had pretty uh pretty bad side effects with me like it was I I was very like sluggish and slow and Keppra was you know way less side effects but I could still feel them like it was very apparent you know so I I I mean I don't advise anyone to do this you know but I I feel like I um I kind of started getting my stress under control and, and really kind of focusing on treating myself a little bit better. And, and, you know, I, uh, so at around that time, like I just decided to go off meds because I wanted to feel better and not feel, you know, like I could have talked to a doctor, I'm sure. And, and they could have, you know, Guided me towards better medication, but I, I just for whatever reason I was like, I'm just gonna go off and you know, do, you know, <laughs> yeah. kind of live my life in that way. Which, um, luckily, I haven't had one since. Which is, it sounds like really you strange.
1: have a pretty good idea of where it's coming from, uh, like what's triggering it. Which that you know, for a lot of cases of epilepsy, it can be hard to figure out what that is, and it can also. It can be really difficult to confirm with anybody that that's what's going on. Like be it, you know, like lack of sleep or hormones or whatever that like can, um, that can trigger it more than anything else. Uh, because it's such a, like the brain is such a complex, insane organ that, um, it's it's really hard to say other than, yeah, just like the classic, you know, flashing lights. It just feels like everybody has like a different trigger of what can bring it on. Yeah,
2: I mean, it's it's funny that you mentioned, yeah, like flashing lights, like they're all there are a ton of movies that will have like, you know, have a warning. Yeah. Right before they start. And and I remember the only one where I felt like I was like, oh, boy, I should probably turn this off is uh, that Ben Wheatley movie, A, a Field in England. Have you ever seen that? It's about like these uh British soldiers in like the midi- medieval times. I f- I forgot which battle they're fighting, but they they go out into this this field where they think of, there's buried treasure. And uh they spend like days like digging up these holes like trying to look for the buried treasure and and they don't have any food because it's like directly after a battle. So they find all these mushrooms and they like make a stew and they all have these crazy acid or mushroom trips. Mm-hmm. But, but the way it's shot, it's like spliced. it's all black and white and it's like spliced, flashing lights kind of yeah. vibes. And, uh, I remember just being like, Oh, this, yeah, I have to turn this off. Oh, <laughs> like, no. But, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like I, I think, um, I remember hearing about how Neil Young said that he, um, he grew up an epileptic and, uh, uh, and once, once he start, once he stopped working with Steven stills in Buffalo Springfield, I think is the story that he stopped having them. (laughs) So I, I mean, I don't know. I, I think, I think, I think, you know, once I, around that time, you know, Courtney and I, uh, we moved to New York. We both went to the same college together and we, we moved to New York and, And although it was like a very stressful, like I, I never, I had such a hard time, you know, with, with, um, like keeping jobs and Mm -hmm. stuff like that and, and, or getting okay jobs or whatever that, you know, it was, it was stressful time, but I think just because we were together, maybe like I, I wasn't that stressed. I don't know, (laughs) like, or, or I, I, I can't pinpoint it. Like, I don't know why it hasn't happened. You know there have certainly been stresses in my life but i don't know why you know it's it's been a over a decade and no seizures you get fired a lot uh yeah (laughs) i mean that's i don't know yeah so i i when we first moved to new york i i kind of had this whole idea where you know i i went to school for journalism Mm -hmm. and and uh which I I lucked out and that ended up kind of being what I do. It it became what I do now, which is good, but it it was, it took a long time to kind of come around and kind of find my footing in that world. Yeah. like I I remember my first job in New York was, uh, my whole mindset was like, I'm going to come to Brooklyn because that's what you do. Like we, we went to school, like a half hour train ride outside of Brooklyn. So it was like, that's what everyone's doing. So we're just going to move there and, you know, we're going to make it in New York, whatever. But my whole idea was like, well, I'm going to start a band and and uh, it doesn't matter, like, what job I get. Like, as long as it's, like, an office job, you know, I'll, I'll be fine. And, like, I don't have to care about it. Like, I can just, you know, as long as I can afford PBR and play in a band, you know, yeah. that's fine for me. So <clears throat> I certainly drank a lot of PBR <laughs> and... And I, I think, uh, I think, um, because I hated every job, I just self-sabotaged everything. Mm -hmm. Like I remember, um, the first real job where I was making like pretty decent money. I, I, I got a job as a grant writer at, um, at NYU for doing like, it was like cancer research. You know, I would, I would assist these scientists who had these projects and, and, uh, you know, help them get their proposals, like, up to snuff and, you know, get all this money for How did you get research? hooked up but, with that? Yeah, I, th- I think I got it on Craigslist. Like, it was just, <laughs> wow. like, applying, you know. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was back then. So, it was probably, like, I mean, I think it must have been, like, 2010, 2011 mm-hmm. or something like that. So, it was a good job. Like, anyone... Would be happy with that job. Like it, it was great benefits. I think I got like, it was like sixty k at that time, which was like pretty big, you know. Like it was definitely, the the most either of us had made, you know, up and in, up until that point. And uh, and I I just remember like, I just did the stupidest shit. Like I remember there was like an orientation, where I got benefits it was like they were reading like, what well, was in our benefits package. And for some reason I was just like, I don't need to be here for this. And like some, and I, I called my friend and we just like, I met, I left. And they were like, don't you want to, you are kind of required to be here. Like, don't you want to stick around and find out what's in your benefits package? And I was just like, nah, fuck it. And I just left. <laughs> and I met my friend and we went to like beer craft and, in park slope. And I remember, getting so drunk and Courtney ended up like she had a job and she like met us up, met with us after work. And, and I just remember like waking up the next day, like I met him for happy hour and I remember waking up the next day too drunk to go to work. And this was like early on in the job. And, and I remember having Courtney like call and be like, this is like this is pat's girlfriend like he can't come in like he's he has the flu or something like that and of course shortly after i i think i lasted i must have lasted like i don't know like i I must have lasted like two months there or something (laughs) i don't i don't know but i did i did like a good job like i actually did the job for a while but I would do all these like little stupid things like that, where I would just prioritize this like vision of, of the, uh, of like, not even where I wanted to go because like the band, the band I was in at that time, like wasn't doing much. Like we were playing like the Charleston, like we weren't like booking these like nation, like, like full national tours or something. Like it was just like, like we had like an ep or something you know like yeah that wasn't even that wasn't even pressed on anything like I, I i just like i wanted to kind of like
1: live the broken life and like what do you think so you and, think it was maybe just coming from like you were just bored was it like just i need some sort of excitement i need some sort of like uh
0: i don't i don't even know adventure? I, I, think, I need some I think,
1: sort of rush
2: I don't know. Cause like, because I was also, you know, the band I was in, we we're, I was in this band called Wagers that was pretty short lived, but we were like, we kind of modeled ourselves after like Guided by Voices, the replacements, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff, whisker do. But we, we thought to do that, like you had to be drunk on stage, you know, mm-hmm. that was like the whole thing. So I think our first show, our guitar player like blacked out and, like broke his amp on stage, but it was just like, it was just bad news. And, and, um, and I think during that time, like I, you know, I, I, you know, I, I got fired from that job because I screwed something up with a grant, which like is a whole different thing, but like, uh, it just didn't work out. And I ended up talking to my boss and she was just like, She was like, you know, like it just doesn't seem like this is the thing you want to do. You know, like, you know, we need someone that, like, you know, really needs to, like, this is their life, you know, kind of,
0: (laughs) you know, like. Right. And she was
2: probably right. Like it wasn't. Yeah. She was totally right. Yeah. And, and I remember that conversation and I was just kind of like, yeah, you know, like this is good. Like this is really good because, like, this isn't what I want to do. And, and I remember we talked for like, 20 minutes after i got fired just like kind of bullshitting Mm -hmm. and just kind of being like and she was like you know i like i like you like you're a good guy but yeah like you know in a different situation we would have been friends outside of this and like you wouldn't have been my employee you know kind of thing like like it was just like like clearly like you want to be doing something that's using the artistic side of your brain not this kind of like you know, very regimented, you know, uh, you know, filling out paperwork kind of thing. Yeah. Like, which some people are great at, you know, but um, so I didn't even though like it it struck a chord with me, I didn't really get the message. And and I was just like, Well, I'm still I was so fight or flight that I was like, Well, I don't know what I want to do. Like I I'd be crazy to think that I could ever be a journalist, you know, like you know, I'll just get like an off another office job, and you know I'll play in advance right. so I ended up getting a job at um a Montessori school in Williamsburg, and I was the front desk guy, you know, kind of like greet the parents as they bring their kids in, mm-hmm. so it was like a like a preschool through i th- I think it was like preschool through kindergarten so and it was all like hip parents from Williamsburg so I would I would just like greet them and and you know a big part of my job was like making sure that all the kids had like their medical stuff like up to snuff and it was an easy job for me to just kind of like coast through and and uh even though it was it was pretty stressful because it was like all department of health stuff but you know everyone that worked there was like hip and and really cool and and uh and nice and and liked me so i did that for way too long like i it was one of those jobs where i was just there for way too long Mm -hmm. and uh so i was there for like three years (laughs) and and, uh ended up getting fired because that i think that self-sabotage thing kind of came through again where i was just like the animal
1: comes out eventually you you try and uh do the buttoned up thing but you you just can't
2: so i had a bike accident or i guess you shouldn't call them bike accidents anymore right it's a bike bike wreck a bike wreck bike crash uh in it was actually right before i started at metro um i uh got into this crash and i i broke my I broke the ball of my elbow. And uh it was pretty brutal. Like they were like uh the you know it it's it's a metal ball in there now and and it's it's a uh, it was a pretty severe surgery. And yeah. uh my my surgeon was like, "You know, we're going to try our best, but there's a real chance like maybe you won't get full mobility of your left arm." And uh I remember you know, hearing that and being like, well, I'm not going to take that as an answer. Like I'm, they were like, they were telling me this and they were like, well, if you do physical therapy, you know, that's all you can do. And I was like, good, well, I'll I'll do all the physical therapy. I'll, you know, you know, really put my all into it. And now I luckily have full mobility, mostly full mo- mobility, but, um, I think that was kind of the thing where I was like, I was like, uh, well, I can't take it for granted anymore now. And, uh, um, I had been in a band called simpler times and, uh, it was kind of falling apart cause our bassist moved to LA and then this happened and it was just kind of like, okay, then that's done. So, uh, once I kind of got my arm, in a good spot I was like I'm gonna buy an acoustic guitar uh like a classical guitar with nylon strings that'll be easy for me to like relearn how to play guitar on and I was like I'm gonna teach myself how to play guitar again and uh and that's kind of what started this Labrador project and 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 now and I think kind of that drive to start music again in a serious way and really take it seriously and really try and write songs that I I I thought I was capable of writing and maybe wasn't wasn't doing before in bands because before I felt like I was just writing songs to be in a band rather than writing songs that were meaningful and then also starting this journalism job where it was like it was like well you finally got the job that you paid for, like you paid for a degree to do this job. (laughs) So why don't you take both of these things really seriously? And I think ever since that kind of like building myself up back again, I was able to kind of refocus and maybe not self-sabotage myself as much. You know, I, I certainly do did in certain ways and maybe, you know, I, I do stress myself out about, you know, writing assignments and stuff like that. And, but like now I living now, like I, I kind of, you know, I, I chase stories I want to write about. And, and, uh, ever since we put this record out, I'm really focusing on, you know, playing as much as possible, like playing, like trying to, you know, like we made a record, so I want people to hear it and I want Like, we made tapes, and and it was the first time I've ever, like, paid for merch, like, to get merch made and stuff like that. So, like, now, even though, like, considering my age, like, I'm, you know, it's, you know, people this age shouldn't be doing this, like, shouldn't be like, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna book a week-long tour or something like that, or I'm gonna, you know, like, like, most people would just be like, okay, this is the time where I get my soul-sucking job. Like, I'm, I'm kind of leaning into uncertainty in a little way where I'm like, well, these are the things I actually want to do, and this is the life I want to have. And I, I think maybe for a long time, the way I was sabotaging myself was a combination of, like, imposter sim- syndrome kind of taking over and being like, well, you're never going to do this. Like, this is as far as you're going to go. Like these are your limitations like you know like nice try like but Mm. pat like you you can't
1: yeah but it's it's time to grow up and get a real job kind of yeah exactly so put these childish things away
2: yeah exactly and and i i don't know about you but i i feel like um i feel like some people probably do feel that you know like when when you reach like your mid-30s but I'm kind of just like, like, we don't want kids Mm -hmm. and, and I don't know if this is like a big factor into it, but, um, and we're, we're happy with that. Like, you know, like, yeah, we kind of want to live this life where, you know, we, we enjoy each other's company and like want to build a life like that, where it's like, well, I guess like, what does it matter? (laughs) what does it matter if like, you know, I I I play music, or you know, kind of lean into these artistic, you know, aspects of my life, or try and achieve these things. Like I, I guess like it would like if if we did have like a a life that was centered around kind of traditional, yeah, you know, family values like that. Like it would be different, but now it's like I don't know. It's just a thing. <laughs> but I think. I've always kind of had that in my head too, because my dad is, um, he's, a he's a still life and landscape artist. So he does like, like Hudson river Valley school style landscapes and, and, but also like very detailed still lifes. So I grew up kind of encouraged to do this kind of stuff, whether it be just drawing or, you know, playing music or whatever, but, um, I think seeing him the way he approached it was kind of like he would come up with a batch of paintings, you know, he would make like finish 10 paintings or something and then, you know, take it to a local gallery and have a show mm-hmm. and people would, you know, he would sell like a painting for like 500 bucks or something, you know? And uh, so I've never been ashamed about, pursuing it cuz it's always I've always considered it work, you know? Or or like a hop, you know, like I always say like it's like pick up basketball or something like that. You know, like being in a band is like pick up basketball or you know, any kind of artistic thing is kind of like that. Yeah. But um I I think I think maybe he kind of had those feelings too because like I he would have shows but they would all be at the same galleries and you know while he he does great work and I think he's he's doing amazing paintings now like like I, I there is that thing of like wanting to push yourself and not um like I, I think, I think taking the next step is like to kind of tune out those voices telling you you can't go further. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean?
1: We should wrap up, but um, let's play a song first. Speaking of music and, and everything. Oh yeah,
2: yeah sure. Okay, um, yeah, this is the. So this song is is basically. When I first bought this guitar actually uh to kind of start writing songs for labrador I I wrote this this is the the first song that I wrote and uh it's on the first album uh, that I put out which is is mostly a solo album called uh, a safe distance from a visit which I did with uh, our guitar player Chris Hayes but we we decided to add it to this new album uh hold the door for strangers because it It just sounded really good with the full band, but I feel like it's probably a good idea to play this one because it was the first one that I wrote.
0: Tired, drunks, play catching release. The first time I broke your heart, I needed the practice. Now when I sing your name, I still feel nothing. State line to Eagleville, and our shivering bodies blur beneath their edges. Waiting together by the side of the road For our rides to come And our lives to move on Far away from this town The first time I broke your heart I needed the practice Now when I see your face I still feel nothing I needed the practice Now when I sing your name I still feel nothing Now when I see your face I still feel nothing, yeah, nothing but helpless. State line to Eagle line to Eagle
1: Very nice. Thank you so much. Uh, Pat King, if people want to find you and your work, uh, where can they do all of that?
2: Yeah, sure. So uh, Labrador uh, is the name of my band. Um, we have a new album called Hold the Door for Strangers that came out in January. Um, it's uh, it's really good, I think. I, I like it. <laughs> we did it in a in a barn in my my hometown with um cal gilbride who who's done like he's in the band Swearin' but he produced like Waxahachie records and uh, a bunch of other people like radiator hospital and stuff like that and um uh the guitar player in my band is chris hayes uh chris arena is our drummer uh grace kim plays violin and Sasha Heinzman plays bass um i'm a music writer um I'm kind of slowing down these days, but I mostly write for, um, you can find my writing in like paste and Bandcamp mostly,
1: but yeah, that's it. That's all I got to plug. Hell yeah, man. Well, it was great to, uh, finally, you know, get together and get you on the show. Um, I've been looking forward to this. Awesome. Thanks, Brad. Thank you once again to Pat King for being on the show. Check him out. Check his music out. If you like sad bastard music, there you go there's one right there you just you just heard him talk for a while and sing there you go gave you one patreon.com slash self and uh you know tell a friend rate and review on iTunes Spotify all of that shit we're on all the platforms except for Stitcher fuck you Stitcher go to hell that's what i say and um that's it. Music is by Shay Bartel. Thank you, Shay. Put us in your Instagram stories. Tell a friend. All of that stuff. I'm Brad Pearson. Uh, till next time, go stare at a wall or get in a. Hand.